0: Coming up on the Fighter Podcast, the best way you can help fight sarcoidosis.
1: So it gives us a bit more security to be able to um, say that these programs are going to be able to, um, you know, continue and move forward despite whatever happens in the future. I feel like a zombie, just feeding and
0: the many ways you can help researchers help you This is the Sarkfighter podcast
1: living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host John Carlin.
0: Well, hello, and welcome to the Sarc Fighter podcast. This is episode 13 now, and I wanna talk about sarcoidosis being called an orphan disease. Why an orphan disease? Well, because sarcoidosis is one of those illnesses that is real, it affects a lot of people, but not as many people as some of the more common diseases, you know, cancer, breast cancer. Uh, They've got the Cancer Society, they've got Coleman for the Cure, and and, and we need those things. We certainly need those things. Sarcoidosis only affects about 200,000 people in the United States, and um, yes, people who have these diseases. Uh, This disease, sarcoidosis, is referred to as a health orphan. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but start looking around the internet and you'll find it. And it it basically applies to people like us, people who have uh, an illness that is widely studied, but not nearly as widely as the, the more common diseases that are out there. So sarcoidosis is kind of a tweener. And it needs research, it needs help, we need new, uh, we need pharmaceutical companies to come up with new options for us, Uh, but it's difficult. And, And if you're listening to the Sark Fighter Podcast, you are, so then, like me, a health orphan. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting sarcoidosis and chances are so are you, whether... You're a caregiver, a patient, a researcher, a funder of some kind. And you know we're all in this sarcoidosis battle together. And today I'll be talking with a woman who has the job of coordinating all of the fundraising for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Angela Freelander is tasked with finding ways to get grants, to encourage you to do fundraisers. She works directly with with pharmaceutical companies to find ways by hook or by crook to get money in the FSR coffers really so we can all have better outcomes when we go to the doctor um, and if you are listening to this maybe you're new to sarcoidosis and hopefully you'll be among that maybe 50% of people and it just goes away on their own but uh, if you're like me and a lot of the people that I've talked to that I've interviewed uh, you are tired of these drugs that have become common in our day-to-day lives, methotrexate, uh, prednisone, cytoxin, Remicade. And there are a lot of drugs out there. Some of them have serious side effects, uh, prednisone for sure, and they don't cure Sark. They help us control it, but they don't cure it. And uh, you'll want to listen in now if you're if you're just tired of kind of going through that menu of drugs, or if like some people you've tried them all and nothing is really working. There, There's a lot that you can do that you might not know about, and some of the options really won't require much effort on your behalf. It's something that you could consider right now, today. And so we'll be getting into that with my interview with Angela, and that's coming up shortly. Now, I mentioned back in episode 12 that I'm not feeling the greatest. I'm not feeling terrible, but I've been having some issues um, and basically, uh, if, you're, if you're not familiar with my story, I have sarcoidosis on my spinal cord, the cord itself right in the back of my neck, diagnosed in 2016, and it causes a lot of numbness in my uh, lower extremities, say from my chest all the way down to my feet, lots of tingling, uh, serious loss of sensation to touch. Uh, It's so it's affect my motor abilities and some other things, but I'm still up and around. I'm still working that sort of thing. But in 2018, I had a pretty serious flare-up and was in the hospital for a few days and I started feeling the same sort of sensations in my back uh, that I did then. So I immediately contacted the doctor uh, and they did a blood test, they did an MRI, and I can tell you that it, it does not appear that I'm having a flare. The the ACE test indicator from the blood test suggested that I was having a flare but that's not always reliable. And I just got back some MRI results and they show that there's no additional inflammation on my spinal cord. So that's fantastic news. And then even just today there is another blood test which is newer. I'm not real familiar with it but it's the soluble IL-2 receptor and that's in the normal range as well and that supposedly tests specifically for sarcoidosis if anybody knows more about that um, you know let me know Uh, but i just received that result literally back today so the good news is is that all of those tests suggest i'm not having a flare i don't know what what i am having went to a chiropractor yesterday who did an x-ray and he saw some things about my spine which you know shows some unnatural curvature and some other things and and just some age-related degeneration but nothing too serious but uh, the fact is is that my back is super super tight and I don't know how to describe it other than that and the last time that I felt this uh, was because of a flare but right now uh, I'm I'm not having a flare I am going to uh, travel to Cleveland probably next week to the Cleveland clinic and meet with a neurologist there Dr. Moss who's wonderful uh, and I've talked to several people uh, who actually have Dr. Moss uh, as their doctor through my travels in the sarcoidosis community. So uh, we'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. But in the meantime, um, we're just we're just moving along through this and it's frustrating. Whenever something goes wrong, the first thing I think of is sarcoidosis. Um, and then right now, here and now, uh, I can tell you that it, it feels like the last time I had a major flare up and when I did, it was bad. Uh, and resulted in uh, lots and lots of prednisone during calendar year 2019 and some chemotherapy drugs and some other stuff and made my life miserable. So um, I'm really glad that it's not headed in that direction. In the meantime, I'm trying to figure out what it is. All right, enough about me. I'm sorry. Um, Mark Steyer and his song Zombie with his band The White Hot Lizards out of Alberta, Canada uh, was the host of our previous podcast and Mark has a great interview and a great sarcoidosis story himself um I say great um, it is a significant sarcoidosis story he's got it in his heart he's now as a pacemaker and he's a young man but a wonderful musician and uh, he shared his story with us about how the various things he had to go through to be diagnosed and uh and now the and the terrible scarring in his heart um but he's mostly got it under control, uh, it feels like. But his song, Zombie, really tells the story of of his battle with sarcoidosis. Uh, but the way it's written, it's it really uh, refers to just about any battle with any disease. But if you, if you have SARC and you know that it's incurable and you've gone through the various phases and stages uh, where you're looking at your life's potential, maybe not not reaching um, what you thought you could. Uh, It's all kind of spelled out poetically in that song. It's a very easy song to listen to and the proceeds from that song will be going to FSR. So uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 12 if you haven't. Um, Mark has uh, set up a KISS account, kick in to stop sarcoidosis and maybe you would want to make a donation in his honor. Um, but anyway and his story is fascinating to listen to he was a hockey player and uh, had had a lot going on in his life still does um, but um, anyway uh, he uh, he's he got a pretty serious hijacking of his life by Sark so go back and listen to to episode 12. Uh, of course, if you're new to this podcast, I just see it as a place where we can all gather. Uh, so many people, when I first told my Sark story on television, uh, as a television news anchor in Roanoke, Virginia, people started contacting me from all over the country once they found it on the internet, saying, wow, I never knew anybody else who had sarcoidosis. And it's just, it's so good to hear somebody else's story, to hear that somebody else is going through what I'm going through, because uh, it makes me feel like I'm not as abnormal as I thought it was. This is this is common for people with sarcoidosis, so, so that's that's why I decided to start the the Fighter podcast, and I've become an advocate now for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and uh, this is this is my way of helping spread the message, um, and I do try to release a new podcast, and I've been able to do it every other Monday and so uh, if you're listening to this one and you're looking forward to the next episode, uh, it'll be coming out uh, two weeks from Monday. And Monday will be, uh, let's see, so today is, so yeah, today is Monday the 20th, and you can look for the next one coming out on August 3rd. Okay, um, just quickly, I want to talk about diet for just a minute because I have been, uh, I've been looking at starting basically an alternative lifestyle to what I've been living to reduce the inflammation caused by sarcoidosis or just inflammation in my body, um, which seems to make sarcoidosis worse. I'm not gonna go into a full-fledged diet episode here because I'm going to eventually dedicate an entire episode to it. I will tell you that I found a really good blog post by a writer named Athena Merritt, who is a Sark fighter. I don't know Athena, I just read her post and I'm going to, uh, she's become a vegetarian and she writes about that, uh, including the temptations that she overcame on the 4th of July when everybody is grilling out. Uh, so, uh, very interesting. Um, I have been, uh, I've been looking at these anti-inflammatory foods which includes avoiding sugar and processed white flour, and pretty much everything that's in all the food that we Americans eat. Um, But I've been moving in that direction. Um, Hasn't been easy. I haven't been perfect. Uh, One of the things you're supposed to stay away from is red meats. In the meantime, for Father's Day, my family gave me a big green egg cooker. If you haven't seen these things, they're amazing. Uh, They're expensive. The whole family chipped in to buy this thing. And so my wife and I have been doing some serious grilling, long, slow cooking, pork butts, uh, baby back ribs, that type of stuff. Um, not exactly perfect, not a long way from, <laughs> from vegetarian, uh, a long way from avoiding fatty foods. Um, on the other hand, uh, man, I really love it. So uh, I've got to figure out where I'm going to go with this. I do want to say thank you to Andrea Wilson, who has sent me a great deal of information after the interview that I did with her. Andrea and her husband, Redding, are the founders of the Foundation for Sarcodosis Research, and they appeared in a previous episode, uh, episode 11. And so um, I want to thank Andrea because she has gone to this type of diet and found a great deal of relief from it and sent me... A whole lot of information I've been reading up on it and considering it and trying to implement what I can where I can but uh, I haven't dedicated myself to it yet I don't know if you have uh, but um, I think that that is this is all advice that is that I I probably should be taking that uh, maybe you should be taking or maybe you're already taking I don't know Um, but uh, these inflammatory foods versus anti-inflammatory foods um, sounds like a direction to go also i just want to mention quickly there's a new study out that shows bad news for sarcoidosis in the lungs for the severe cases uh, of that called sarcoidosis related pulmonary hypertension that's commonly referred to as SAF and this new study shows that people who have SAF and have reduced physical fitness uh, actually live significantly shorter times without requiring a lung transplant and there's a new study just out about that I'll put a link to that in the show notes but I also want to let you know that uh, I've got a bonus episode featuring four of the world's leading researchers on SAF and they presented their findings uh, in Madrid, Spain and you can tune in and listen to that episode as well it's not a numbered episode I just called it a bonus episode I'll put the I'll put a link to that in the show notes or you can just go to my Podbean website and scroll down and find that or, or google it it's uh it should be pretty easy to find if you look for the sarc fighter podcast on on google and then look for saf uh, but anyway i'll make it easy for you in the show notes all right so uh that's the news that i have this week and coming up now will be my interview with angela freelander The Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to finding the cure for this disease and to improving care for sarcoidosis patients worldwide. Since its establishment in 2000, FSR has fostered over $5 million in sarcoidosis-specific research efforts and has provided disease education and support for thousands of individuals navigating life with sarcoidosis. Learn more about FSR and how they're supporting those impacted by this disease at www.stopsarcoidosis.org. Joining me now is Angela Freelander. Angela, thank you so much for joining us here on the Fighter podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, John. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Yeah. And your job is to raise money for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Now, and I've lost track of your actual title. Why don't you share your title and and sort of your job mission with our listeners?
1: Yes. So I am the director of development for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and that means my job is to generate funds from different revenue streams for the foundation through our uh, pharmaceutical partners, through uh, different types of grant opportunities, through working with individual fundraisers, from hosting uh, large fundraisers through the foundation's annual 5K, virtual satellite 5Ks, so a lot of different things that go into how we raise money for the foundation and fund crucial research and our patient advocacy and education programs.
0: Yeah, and and without you, none of the rest of this happens, does it?
1: That's, yes, that's true, that's true, okay. but it's easy, what's cool is that um, because these programs, our research program and our uh, patient advocacy programs are so um, uh, successful and um so entail it makes my job a lot easier so we have a really cool thing that we're doing so
0: well that's good and what what i hope maybe we can accomplish with the interview here today is to uh, promote even more engagement and momentum and enthusiasm for the fundraising side of this and i know it's been it's been hard because of the covid pandemic uh April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month and that's typically a time when a lot of people who have sarcoidosis or, or are helping to fight the cause in one way or another do walks and they do runs and they do all these different things and of course everything got cancelled this year. Um, mm-hmm. did, did you take a pretty big hit in terms of the money that we did not raise as, as the foundation?
1: You know, to be perfectly honest and frank, we did, you know, we took a big hit because Sarcoidosis Awareness Month, we have multiple events, like you said, that take place. Um, And a lot of different people have online fundraisers or uh, different in-person fundraisers, spaghetti dinners, bingo, um, you know, all types of different events and because of the the coronavirus pandemic we weren't able to to do any of those in-person events and um it did it took it took a big hit so um Mm -hmm. we're working to try to overcome that and um you know luckily we're in a place where we you know can still continue our mission um, but that's, that's not to say that, you know, we, we, we shouldn't prepare and be proactive for if this happens again, um, because we still want to be able to fund our, you know, fund our mission, fund research and fund um, programs for patients.
0: Let's, let's kind of go through the laundry list here of ways that people can uh, financially assist the foundation. Uh, or, or we can just call that, you know, make a donation. But there's, it, it's more than just, you know, writing a check once. And and there's any number of ways that, that they can do that. But let's say that somebody is listening right now, and they hear, wow, the foundation took a hit because of uh, sarcoidosis or because of uh, COVID. Uh, and so they want to make a, a one time gift. That's, that's Probably what you see very often, the most often. I don't know. How, how does that work? How can people do that?
1: Definitely. So that is a very easy and common way for um, someone to help support the foundation is making a one-time gift. Um, and they can do it through various ways, John. there's uh, We have an online donation portal through our website, um, where people can go and make an online donation via credit card, Um, but people can also mail in checks, mail in cash as well to our address Um, and other ways that um, people can make a one-time donation is um, people can make a gift from a donor-advised fund Um, and those have been pretty common as well um, because these are funds that donors have set up. through making a donation through this fund, they receive immediate tax benefits, um, which makes it easy for them. And, and the foundation gets um, a donation and the, the donor gets an immediate tax uh, benefit as well. Uh, in addition to donor advised funds, donors can also um, make donate gifts of stock um, and we accept those as well. So,
0: so how, do, how do you make a donation of stock?
1: So um, really, it's it's actually the donor doesn't really do too much besides um, working with their stockbroker, and um, the stockbroker then contacts FSR, and we kind of do work on the back end, and um, the the stock the stockbroker is able to um, donate X number of shares for or X you know amount um to fsr and um we receive that in our account um and then are able to liquidate that
0: that is awesome is, is probably a lot of people don't know about that
1: right right you in it's a great way because people might um you know be really into the stock market scene as you know The economy is um, always in flux, but, um, you know, obviously it's a great way to be able to do something that, um, you know, something different than just going to the donation page of our website and making a donation online. So um, just different ways to, to go about uh, making an impact.
0: Sure. So now the one-time donation is great, but Uh, It would be nice for planning purposes for the staff and for people who have to put together the annual budget, and and a nonprofit has to do that just like any other business. So, you've got staff to pay and uh, you've got expenses, you have to keep the lights on. Um, It's got to be extremely helpful if people would sign up to make a repeated gift. So, every month you know you're going to get five, ten, twenty five, a hundred dollars, you know, whatever it is. From somebody and FSR actually has a monthly program do do they not?
1: Yes yes we do have a monthly donation program and what's great about our program is that um, it can be customizable to any amount that a donor is comfortable with so if a donor wants to donate a penny a month even that's possible through our uh, monthly uh, donor program Um, but of course it can be you know as many as as much as a donor wants. And what's great about it. it's like you said, we're able to count on that and um, have that repeat donation um, through and count on it for the, for the years and the months to ahead. Right. So
0: how many people are doing that? And how much are you encouraging people to do that right now?
1: So we do have a good a handful of people that make a donate a monthly donation, but we're really looking to grow that program because you know, seeing as what has taken place through the year for. Through this year, up to this year, through COVID, um, you know what we're really trying to do is be ready for the next pandemic, right? And we want to be proactive in that and really um, grow our monthly donor program so that we have more um, secure funds that we that we can count on and that we can um, ensure that you know our our programs such as research and the um, patient education programs aren't. And you know, kind of relying on our one-time don't you know our one-time donations. Um, so it, it gives us a bit more security to be able to um, say that these programs are going to be able to um, you know continue and move forward despite whatever happens in the future.
0: Yeah, you know, um, as as I mentioned when we were chatting before the interview, I work with any number of of local boards here in the, the Roanoke, Virginia area, where I live and uh you know what we find is that once people uh start making regular donations to any cause in this case it would be sarcoidosis they really feel like they're a part of the organization they're more invested in the process and then become more interested in reading the emails and and seeing the forward progress of the cause isn't that kind of a part of the reason even if it's 5 dollars a month you want to see the regular monthly donations
1: That's completely true, and and we find that as well. Our monthly donors are really invested and really engaged in what is happening at the foundation, and that's what we want, right? We want our constituents, we want patients, we want the sarcoidosis community to feel engaged in a part of what we're doing, because at the end of the day, we're not able to, um, you know, have success and achieve our goals without the engagement of the community, whether it be in research, whether it be in our patient education initiatives and our grassroots um local support programs that's that's not possible without the support and engagement of our community and the monthly donors are some of the most engaged um constituents that we have and and that we we want to see that grow so that's absolutely right
0: yeah and there's you know there's so much going on with sarcoidosis because we still just don't know what causes it we don't have a cure. I'm sitting here, I've got this this flare going on my spinal cord right now. And, you know, I mean, I'm up yeah. and around, you know, I'm, I'm functioning, I'm going to work. Uh, but the doctors are scratching their heads and just kind of, I don't know. I mean, and I've got some of the best doctors in the country at the Cleveland Clinic working with me, but nobody mm-hmm. really knows. And without these kind of monthly donations, we're never going to know.
1: Right, it's really important. Right, it's so important because um, without the funding, as you mentioned, we're really not able to do anything. We're able to, um, you know, unfortunately, We've seen, because of COVID, a lot of nonprofits and really amazing charities have had to close their doors. And um, you know, thanks to our amazing donor support base, we, we've been able to continue helping patients like you, John, and helping patients across the world um, improve their quality of life through, through you know, advancing research and making sure that um, you know, our agenda is, is able to advance and move forward. Because without that, um, you know, there's more patients like you, and and you know, there's not going to be answers. So we need to we need to do this, and we need to um, ensure that we're able to to continue and push forward through research to one day, obviously, find a cure.
0: Yeah, for sure um or at least find a way to control this thing without the terrible side effects that we get from
1: yeah
0: you know prednisone in particular and just about right. anybody listening to this knows the prednisone story uh, all too well unfortunately right. so um so then there's other things you know we can't do the walks right now but there is some virtual fundraising that's happening with a lot of different organizations and we cover those locally on the news all the time what are some of your suggestions for people who want to do virtual fundraising
1: yeah so we have a lot of really um great virtual fundraising options depending on what um someone is interested in so for example uh, a great way to have a virtual host a virtual fundraiser during this time is to um have commemorative gifts donated to fsr so um in lieu of birthday gifts graduations taking place, um, anniversary gifts, consider asking friends and family to donate to FSR in your honor. So, um, you know, with, with, um, everything happening, you might not want a birthday gift or an anniversary or graduation gift. And, um, someone might be able to donate to a charity, um, at a higher level than you might, than you might realize. Um, because of the different impact that it has on a donor as well. So so a lot of people could be really surprised at how much you know their birthday um, can raise for for the charity that they are passionate about, in this case sarcoidosis.
0: Yep. A lot of people you see that on Facebook, people saying, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want a gift, make a donation. Um, but I think
1: Yeah and that's a is, really... is it easy Is there
0: a drop down menu that, that so let's say I want to choose the foundation for sarcoidosis research
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I'm on my Facebook page and I want to do that does does our organization just pop yes. up?
1: Yeah, so if you search foundation for sarcoidosis research, you're able to um, connect your birthday fundraiser, for example, to um, our foundation. And what's really cool about that is every month we get checks from um, Facebook's payment processor for thousands of dollars. Really? Um, yeah, from these um, Facebook fundraisers. And that is a huge, huge um, uh, source of revenue for us each year, um, our online Facebook and fundraising. um opportunities. It's, it's great, great way for people to um, also share the message with different people um, on social media and online.
0: We hear so, you know, so much about uh, the fraud that's out there. And it's, it's really good to hear somebody on the receiving end of those Facebook posts that actually gets the money. So it actually works. It actually goes where it's supposed to.
1: Totally. We last year, John, we received nearly a hundred thousand dollars from those from um, Facebook and online um, fundraisers alone.
0: A hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. I thought you were going to say (laughs) 5,000.
1: No, it's great. It's wow. a, it's a great way for people to, to make it an impact. And, um, what's cool about the social media is people know it spreads like wildfire. So yeah. if someone shares it, um, on their page and then asks their friends to share it, you have, you know, exponential opportunities of getting your message across and raising money for your cause. That's important to you. Yep. Yeah.
0: How about Memorial gifts? I mean, if somebody passes, uh, You know, we we see that a lot in the newspaper and in the obituary that somebody wanted uh, donations in lieu of flowers to go to XYZ cause. Um, I have yet to see that in a local paper where somebody said the foundation for sarcoidosis research. But Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a great way for people because flowers are expensive. I'm sure that that money could be put to good use to fight sarcoidosis.
1: Absolutely, and and what's really great, John, is that we actually have an online online forum where people can create their own memorial page, essentially, um, to really honor the loved ones that they lost by uh, including photos of their loved ones, by including a personalized story um, about their sarcoidosis journey or about their life in general. Um, And they're able to then share that link to friends and family and ask them instead of flowers, um, consider donating. And really that's a great way to, um, have their spirit live on and, um, you know, have a lasting impact on the foundation even after, um, they've passed. So, um, a lot of people, uh, do do that for, for us, which we are so appreciative, especially, um, you know, for people to keep us in bond during that difficult time. Um, But it really helps, you know, the community remember the lives that were lost too soon um, from this disease. So, yeah.
0: Um, You know, we, um, I want to mention uh, Mark Steyer. Mark is uh, a musician in Alberta, Canada, and Mm -hmm. I interviewed him for episode 12 uh, and we also played the song that he has written along with his band called the White Hot Lizards uh, called Zombie. And that song just so encapsulates the fight that people with sarcoidosis feel. And in fact, a friend of mine who, ha- who was recovering from bladder cancer listened to it and he said, well, this is my story, too. Yeah. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to, to listen to that song. Go ahead and, and find it on episode 12. Um, but he's also donating the proceeds from that song to FSR. And yeah. I have no I have no idea what kind of money that represents for FSR. Um, but um uh, or you could even do it in honor of him. Isn't that a cool thing that that Mark did?
1: That is awesome. And I, I listened to this song before we um chatted, John, and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, And what's really cool about it is is that Mark is able to take something that he's he's really passionate about and loves doing, using his creativity to help inspire others. Um, And then while raising money for FSR, I think that's such a cool thing and really goes to show that our community is um, really really just, um, amazing and, and trying to do new things and, um, you know, connect with other patients and share their story. Um, you know, because, you know, all too often we talk to patients who still say, I've never met another patient, you know, and I can't, you know, talking to my friends and family, they don't understand because I look healthy, but being able to, as Mark did, share a story and be able to, that resonates with other patients who, who might not have another patient that they can call. Um, it really helps um, bring people together. And, you know, obviously we don't want anyone to feel alone in this fight because we're here.
0: Right. Well, that's, that's one of the reasons that I started this podcast is just yeah. to to let other SARC patients and their caregivers and researchers hear uh the stories of these people um yeah and i, and I gotta tell you i i had this terrible feeling like everything was stalling right when the covid pandemic emerged and the whole world was all panicked about that and i thought how am i going to get anybody to think about sarcoidosis when everybody's thinking about covid uh, right and so now here we are in july of 2020 and um uh, and, but i feel like okay that's sort of reached its equilibrium, as it were. I mean, it's still just as big a threat, maybe a bigger threat, because now we're getting these big bumps in the numbers. But uh, in the meantime, people with cancer and sarcoidosis and, you know, whatever, all the diseases that were out there before COVID emerged, uh, we're still out here fighting this fight, and we still have to keep the doors open and the lights on and the staff paid and the research going on. And, uh, And I appreciate what you're doing. To, uh, to try and get keep the money coming in, uh, because otherwise nothing happens. Now, um, workplace giving, there's a lot of companies that if an employee feels the need to donate to a cause, their company will match that gift. Do you see a lot of people doing that?
1: You know, we we do. Um, I think that it's definitely an opportunity for us to see increased revenue, because um it's there are companies that have money already set aside at the beginning of the year and a lot of companies don't actually end up using that money that they already set for that year and just roll it over to the next year and that leaves money on the table for sarcoidosis research and for us to be able to help patients Um, on our donation page um, scrolling right past that. We actually have a really cool search engine, um, that you can type the name of your company into the search engine and, um, it will tell you all of the things that you need to do to be able to make a, um, submit a match for your company, um, and who you need to contact, whether it's your HR department or, um, you know, what types of forms? Uh, because that's, that's a lot of the question too. It's like, well, you know, I don't really know how to, to go about doing that. I can make a donation online, but my company is so big. I don't know who to reach out to. Um, and that's a great resource for people to, um, to use and get that information. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, uh, I mean, and of course it doubles the gift. So instead of $50 a month, all of a sudden you guys are getting a hundred dollars and, um, I'll be honest with you sitting right here right now. I don't know if my company does that or not, uh, mm-hmm. or if I have to give a certain amount or whatever. I mean, I just, I just don't have any idea, um, mm-hmm. but I'll go check that out. Yeah. Um, for and sure.
1: It, there's thousands of companies in there. So um, it's cool to see. I, I've, you know, tested it. I like to see, I'll go in there just to see who, um, you know who I can find, and what that what the different um, requirements are for different companies, even big up like you know Amazon, Walgreens, um, Best Buy, uh, Kroger's. There's you know whoever you can think of, they're all yeah. in there. So wow. it's, okay, yeah.
0: Uh, well, that's something that I'll be checking out. And by the way, for listeners, um, all of the uh, information will be in the show notes, uh, including you know the very robust donor page uh, from your website. Angela, so that's, that's great. Um, what is, you know, you've, you've talked to me a little bit about something called the combined federal campaign. Can mm-hmm. you explain that please?
1: Yeah. So the combined federal campaign is the largest and actually most successful workplace charitable giving program in the world. Um, the CFC is the workplace giving program for United States federal employees. Um, so in that, in the CFC is the only authorized charitable organization dedicated to giving charities the opportunity to solicit federal employees for donations. Um, and by being a part of the combined federal ch- um, campaign, we're able to be included in that list. So we're, we're able to solicit to different um, types of organizations and federal uh, groups of employees uh, in the in the U.S. government. So it's it's a, we've a lot of um, donations come in through that. And it makes it easy for donors to make a donation through their workplace giving um, because they don't have to you know, write us a check, they don't have to go online, they can elect to do it through their employer and then their employer sends us um, the donation. Um,
0: you know, honestly, I'm just not familiar with that and I'm, I'm surprised because of my work with our local nonprofits, so mm-hmm. does FSR receive a lot of money from
1: that? Mm-hmm. Yes. We receive, we receive a lot of money um, from all over the country. Um, thousands of dollars we raised through the the CFC campaign um, and it takes place every fall. So uh, this year it starts um, September 1st and goes until January 15th. So during that time period, donors can um, make donations through their employers and just, um, the government, and uh, then the donations are then paid out to FSR the next calendar year. So it would be 2021 that we receive donations for for that right. campaign.
0: Right. So if you're a federal employee and you're listening right now, is it just as easy as checking the box, or what do you have to do?
1: Yeah. So um, and I sh- I. We'll provide in the notes, um, John, our CFC number, um, but it's as easy as referencing um, FSR CFC number and um, using that number, donors are able to find and um, elect FSR as their charitable organization to donate to, which is amazing. Yeah. Super easy for donors, um, very streamlined, so. Wow,
0: that's great. Um, now, Amazon Smile, is one of those things that's out there, and orgs are starting to really capitalize on this, but when you shop you through Amazon, there is a simple way that fSR can receive money every time you buy something
1: mm-hmm. and it's, exactly it's
0: really easy, but people don't know about it so tell tell everybody how that works
1: yeah, so it's super easy it's it's literally three steps. So, um, when you sign into Amazon, um, on your desktop or even your mobile phone, um, you can go to your, um, and you go to your account from the navigation page, um, and select the option to change your charity, um, or from your mobile browser, it's at the bottom of the page. Um, but if you search for the foundation for circuitosis research as a charitable organization, then you can select, um, FSR. And what it does is Amazon F portion of the proceeds um, from that purchase, it's the same price um, as if you were to purchase it through the regular Amazon page. Um, but a portion of the proceeds is donated to FSR. And, um, you know, because everyone is doing a lot more online shopping, I know I am, um, yeah. given the given the current times, it really adds up and um, is able to, um, you know, support FSR in, you know, making your everyday purchases
0: through Amazon. So, all right. And, and, I ha- and I have to admit that because my wife works for the local SPCA, uh, a lot of my Amazon purchases are done with Amazon <laughs> Smile. Uh, but the yeah. money goes to the SPCA. But don't worry, everybody. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm also fundraising for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Yes. But um, so if I want to, let's say I'm listening right now and I want to do this Amazon Smile thing, and mm-hmm. I need to order a new dog bowl <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or a uh, uh, part for my car or whatever it is I'm buying on Amazon, salt and pepper anymore. It doesn't matter. Um, right. How do tell everybody how, how that works? Like what do I have to do first to make sure that that money goes to FSR?
1: So what you have to do first is you have to sign on and in, sign into your personal Amazon account. You have to have an Amazon account and, um, From your desktop, you go to the navigation page and you select change your charity through Amazon smile and you search for FSR um, and it's, and then you're able to select FSR as the um, charity that receives the funds and start shopping. That's it. That's simple. Yeah. And then then you get a cut. Exactly. Exactly. So um, then FSR receives um, a check from all of the donations that um, add up from these little purchases. Again, salt and pepper, your dog bowl, um, and it results in hundreds of dollars to FSR, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, that's great. All right. And now I kind of want to, I want to talk to you about planned giving and Mm -hmm. planned giving is a term that uh, I've heard a lot in my career with my local organizations and and especially when I was the director of public relations at Ferrum College here in the area, uh, I learned, in fact, we had a whole division from the college dedicated just to planned giving.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: um, planned giving for listeners who don't know what that is, is, is leaving FSR money in you, essentially in your will or stock mm-hmm. or somehow. Um, just saying that at some point when I pass, uh, if I've mm-hmm. accumulated some sort of an estate, I want a portion of that estate to go to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. So, Angela, how would someone begin to approach that?
1: That's a great, um, great question, John. And really, the first piece of it is um, taking a look at or thinking about your will and um, really looking at having that thought out, um, updated will is really the best way to start. Um, And in addition to that, we do have um, a whole online plan giving portion of our website that tells you, that tells donors everything they need to know about what plan giving is, what options are available to them, um, whether it be property, estate, stock, annuities. Uh, those are those are all the different, and even more, there are more ways um, to donate through your will. And what it does is it really uh, maximizes uh, the impact that you have on, uh, you know, your cause of choice, while making sure that everything is in place for your family, for your loved ones, after you pass. So um, it's a twofold. And it and it really, it really, is a great way to ensure that you know the foundation is able to continue um you know working towards research and working towards um you know better treatments and a cure um even after uh you know the passing of of loved ones and um after your own passing so
0: right right you know and it, and it doesn't need to be a surprise For the foundation all of a sudden one day you get a check for tens of thousands of dollars for planning purposes it's so much easier if someone works with you and lets you know that i've made this commitment that when i pass Mm -hmm. and they could be 40 years old they could be 60 years old it doesn't matter but right but what i found in in working in the in higher education is that colleges can then say okay and colleges and uh, and churches are the best at planned giving. Churches and, right. the, and then higher education, if I remember uh, the study that I read. Um, that's beside the point. But if you know, if you're a, a major university, if you know that over the next 20 years, according to statistical tables, that you've got $20 million donated, then you know that money is coming in. Exactly from from a a wide variety of sources, and if somebody lives longer than twenty years, God bless them. That's great, but you know that money is coming eventually, and so you can build a building or you can commit to funding a project because it's you just know that that it's in the pipeline, so to speak. Right. And and banks will banks will take that to the bank. You know, if you need if you need to borrow money or whatever for whatever project it is. And I don't I don't want to get all involved in finance, but the bottom line is is that an organization is much more secure if they know that X number of people have put them in their will and that this Mm -hmm. money is coming eventually. Isn't that true? Mm
1: Absolutely. And for research, that's critical because um, a lot of times in research and in um, uh, really just research in general and what we're looking through um, to achieve with this disease and, and what we need to achieve um, is that research takes a really long time. And funding these projects, um, a project, a research project might take 10 years. So while we might have the money, you know, immediately within the next, you know, three to five to be able to fund it. We wanna make those commitments and we wanna start that research now so that that research can be continuing for the next 10, 15, 20 years, because of course that's, we need to be able to, um, to do that. And that's through plan giving, that's really gonna enable FSR to get to the next level um, and say that, you know, this, this is going to be funded. You know, these, this research is going to take place because we know we're, we're confident and we know that this um, this funding is coming in. So it's, it's huge. And again, that really, I think that really helps take organizations to the next level in their, um, in their mission. Yeah. And like you said, with, with, you know, higher education and churches, they're able to, to build, um, you know, large large buildings or, um, you know, have a large symposium or, you know, something take take place using that, that fund. But for us, you know, with, with the research really being at the heart of, of what our mission is to be able to improve the lives for patients, that's critical. And, and again, research takes a really long time. So um, we want to be able to, to say, yes, we're committed to funding this for the next 20 years.
0: Right. You know, and, and I think this is a good time to talk about why give to sarcoidosis as opposed to so many other worthy causes, um, even medical causes. But mm-hmm. um, if people are listening to this podcast, they're a sarc fighter in some way. They've got the disease, their uh, loved one has the disease, or maybe they're in the research sector and they're just trying to, to keep up with everything that's going on. Um, but what, what is difficult with sarcoidosis is that, like you said, some patients, many patients say they've never known anybody else who have the disease. Right. And, and yet it is a, a terrible disease in that there's no known cause, there's no known cure. Uh, the outcomes are, are often awful. And it's hard to rise to the top of people's giving list. Is it, is it, are we not referred to as an orphan organization sometimes? Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And, and so, and there, you know, we're not the only ones. There's a lot of autoimmune diseases out there, uh, but there's just right. not a lot of sarcoidosis patients. So your job that's has right. to be very difficult to make people say, when I give, I want to give to sarcoidosis.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. Because, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, the easiest thing top of mind thing I can say is, you know, cancer, there's so many different types of cancer organizations and so many different people are affected by cancer. So why not I, you know, have my donation go to cancer because so many more people, you know, millions of people um, have cancer and millions of people lose loved ones to cancer every year. While, you know, being a rare disease, sarcoidosis affects what, roughly 200,000 Americans. But that's the reason why. People need to fund FSR and sarcoidosis because we don't have all of that funding coming from the government and from millions of people. If, if you know a million people donated one dollar to a cancer organization, that would be a million dollars. We have again a fraction of that with patients that are affected by sarcoidosis. You know, many of them even, you know, living their lives without knowing about sarcoidosis until they pass from sarcoidosis. So they could have been potentially someone who contributed had they known they had it. So that's another challenge as well. A lot of people um, who pass don't even know they have it. So so it's a challenge because it's underdiagnosed, it's misdiagnosed, it's um, people living with it who don't know they have it. And and again, finding, um, being able to to make the case and say that look, this is important. We want patients with sarcoidosis to um, have treatment options. Right? There's only two FDA-approved treatments for sarcoidosis, both are steroids. So you know, sarcoidosis patients don't have you know the the hundreds and dozens of um, you know treatment options that cancer patients have, or the opportunities to participate in clinical trials like cancer patients have. And that's why we need funding, and that's why. supporting FSR and circoidosis research is important so
0: yeah well I I couldn't agree more Um, and every time uh, doctors have wanted to give me for instance I'm currently taking Humira um, Mm -hmm. and uh, Imuran in addition to that but every time a doctor wants to prescribe something for me, it's a fight with the insurance company because exactly. it's not a quote unquote approved treatment, even though exactly. for the most part, you know, when I was taking Remicade, it works. Exactly. And yet the, yeah, but yet it's expensive and it's not approved for sarcoidosis.
1: Exactly. And so
0: the doctors have to fight and it's back and forth and it's letter after letter. And then eventually mm-hmm. it gets approved.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: And then, um, And, and, but in the meantime, the patient is sitting there and I'm living proof of that, you know, for two months, Mm -hmm. taking either prednisone, which works, but you can't take it forever and it ruins your life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Uh, uh, In the meantime, you're thinking, when is, when is this going to be approved? When is this going to be approved? And we, we need more, uh, more things to be approved, more, more, uh, Remedies, as it were, and we need, and then we need new drugs to be found right. that are right. sarcoidosis specific. I'm sorry, exactly. I'm, I'm meandering. I'm on my soapbox here, but but and, it's one know, that another, a
1: lot of patients can relate to, John. I'm sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so when people give to to the foundation, how is that money distributed? If you give a dollar uh, or a hundred dollars, what goes where?
1: You know, that's a great, great question. And um, really 70 to 80% goes to research. We have a very low um, overhead cost, Sean, because there's eight staff members. There's eight full-time staff members. We don't have a team of 50 people. Um, you know, we have a small office um, outside of Chicago, outside of the downtown area of Chicago. And, um, you know, we, we really, work in a um, minimalistic environment. We don't, you know, we we want, as even the staff, we want the majority of our funding um, to go to research and, and support patients. So the majority, because research is so expensive, obviously, the majority of that dollar does go to research. But then the second is, um, you know, support for patients, so programs for patients, um, being able to, to host, um, you know, our patient navigator, patient advocacy programs, host our summits. Um, so those things um, would, be, would be the next um, area of, uh, support that, that your donation would go to.
0: Right. And, you know, any, any organization, and again, I've been involved with so many local boards, um, at the executive level on some of them. I mean, salaries always, you know, you've got, you got to pay the staff, but without the right. staff, nothing happens. And, right. then, and then you've got to, uh, recruit people to help you carry the message. And mm-hmm. you've got to get your message out. You can't sit there and say, well, we can't spend anything on marketing because then nobody would know what you're doing. And then the money doesn't right. come in. And so, so all of that uh, is important. Those are all right. things that, that have to be done. And you, you can't attract a pharmaceutical company if they're not aware of what the foundation for sarcoidosis research is. Right. Uh, and, then, and then a big part of what we do is, uh, or you do, and, you know, I guess we're all doing together is patient outreach. Exactly. Right? So you're, you're yep. trying to help people like me and, and, and other folks that I've met through this podcast and through this process and online. How, how does the patient outreach work
1: and help? Yeah, you know, it's really patient outreach is critical to advancing research, right? Because without patients, and without patient outreach, patients wouldn't be included in trials and clinical trials would, would fail, quite frankly, without the patients being recruited in them. So patient outreach is really critical to be able to um, to advance research and also um, you know help support patients and, and make it so that patients don't um, do know people um, outside of, of themselves that are living with this disease and able to educate people um, and access and reach people that the foundation isn't able to reach. We recognize that we're not able to connect with every single sarcoidosis patient out there. However, with the support of our community, we know that we can get a lot farther with that. So really patient outreach is is huge in our mission and, um, you know, through channels like social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, we're able to get our message and spread it, um, you know, to as many channels as possible. Um, because again, at the end of the day, we're not able to fulfill our mission um, and support patients without without the patient population being there and supporting FSR. Yeah.
0: Well, I tell you, I appreciate what you do, and you know, I've talked to um, any number of people now on the staff through the podcast, and including uh, Andrea and Redding, the founders. Uh, mm-hmm. And now this organization is 20 years old, and and I can personally attest that it is extremely well run and, and it's a lean operation. Uh, there's not yeah. a lot of excesses. There's not a lot of wild parties, unless, unless for some reason that party's a fundraiser, because uh, <laughs> I believe Andrea Redding talked about having some kind of a fundraiser with a monkey and a camel at it.
1: yeah. Um, yeah.
0: but, but whatever it takes to, to get people to uh, get out their checkbooks at the end of the night is, is important.
1: Right. Right. So,
0: um, uh, I just, I really do appreciate what you guys are doing, and, uh, and we need to remember that sarcoidosis is still there. COVID will come, and I like to say it will come and go. Uh, who knows yeah. when it's going to go, but uh, sarcoidosis is here, and uh, the, the 200,000 of us in the United States, and although I've been looking at my data, we've got people listening to this podcast in Canada and Australia wow. and Great Britain, And so, you know, we've got, we're starting to get a worldwide audience here for the Sark Fighter podcast.
1: That's Um, amazing.
0: But everybody would benefit from the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, no matter where you live, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Our, our research is international. Um, our patient base is international. We're working to, um, can, you know, connect with different groups from all over the world to ensure that, um, you know, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research um, reaches and helps support as many patients as possible. Um, so yeah, absolutely.
0: Right.
1: Anything great. else,
0: Angela, that you want to add about uh, how to give or why to give?
1: No, I think that, you know, we're so appreciative of what you're doing, John, and, be, and being able to um, get our message out to patients. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what, what is important to FSR is advancing the mission, being able to fund crucial, groundbreaking research that patients are so desperately, um, you know, searching for answers, better treatments, a cure um, and in addition to, to that, obviously providing them with reliable and up-to-date information about the disease, um, which is even crit- more critical now than ever because of um, the COVID epidemic happening. You know, a lot of patients have questions about how COVID and, um, you know, being a sarcoidosis patient, uh, you know, how they how they might be able to, to live with this and, and move forward and live beyond um, this epidemic. So, but uh, again, really, really funding that funding is the critical element that, that excels and advances our mission and gets us, gets us to be able to do this, all the amazing things that we can do. So, we, we really appreciate all of um, your help with that too, John.
0: Oh, Anything I can do. Angela Freelander, thank you so much for joining us on the Shark Fighter podcast.
1: Find a way trying to adapt your life it's not the why
0: but the how that plagues my mind a new perspective
1: appreciate what you've got we're dead men walking in an instant it could be gone and i don't
0: Before we go any further, I have to mention that the official music of the Sark Fighter podcast as of today is the song Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band the White Hot Lizards based in Alberta, Canada. Mark is a Sark Fighter himself and he told his story and the background to the song Zombie in episode 12 and if you check out episode 12, you can hear his compelling story and how sarcoidosis has Turned him from an athlete uh, into uh, somewhat of, I don't want to say couch potato because he's still really active. But he's certainly not the hockey player that he once was and wants to be. And that's his Sark story. But again, he has graciously allowed the Sark Fighter podcast to use his song Zombie. And all the proceeds from the song will be donated to the foundation for Sarcodosis research and you can find more information about mark and his story and the song in the show notes with this podcast it is so important to help raise money for sarc research fundraisers like walks and so forth of course with covid are so hard to do right now but virtual events are great And please consider, uh, if you want to just give, making a regular monthly donation to the organization. You know, if you could afford to send $20 a month and the organization knows that every month that'll be $20... Uh, that's money that they can count on for planning purposes Um, and you know maybe maybe as you age you up that a little bit Uh, maybe maybe you take it down it's not like if you commit you always have to there certainly are not going to send you know bill collectors after you but um, you know it's just kind of a way to buy in kind of a way to buy in and uh, and that's something you should seriously consider and then you know uh, this is hard to talk about but I think that you should consider making a bequest to FSR if and when you pass. It's hard to talk about, but uh, it really comes under the category of planned giving. You heard Angela and I talk about it. I'm involved with many organizations here in the Roanoke area. My wife uh, works for the SPCA, and bequests... You know, when you die, there's a fair amount of money in your estate, and you want to leave it to your loved ones, and you should understand that. Uh, But a bequest just means let's take a a small portion of that estate and give it to FSR and, and let them know that you plan to do that now for their planning purposes because there are actuarial charts and tables that suggest, okay, if you have so many bequests headed in your direction that you know according to the insurance industry you know x number of people will pass and so the organizations can just kind of plan that that money's going to be there 10 years from now 20 years from now but it's going to come eventually uh, and that also helps it helps so much and and those lump sums are, can go into the budget and can be used by an organization which is always fighting to whether it's daily operational expenses or money they want to reinvest in research or whatever it is you you just got to keep the lights on and that's a good way to do it so it's you know it sounds morbid but that is definitely something that that you should consider and uh, there's a really robust fundraising page on the FSR website and as Angela mentioned in the interview we can make that available in the show notes. FSR is only 20 years old. Uh, we are an orphan organization working for an orphan disease uh, and, uh, and all those of us listening who have SARC are, are health orphans and so buy-in like that from those of us who are fighting it Really makes a difference, and it speaks loudly to the community at large that that uh, people who have SARC are, are willing to literally put their money where their mouth is. So, um, that's my little pitch on Angela's behalf and on behalf of, of FSR, uh, and as a patient, and something that uh, that I certainly appreciate when other people uh, pitch in as well. And 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 I pitched in a good amount last year, and I'll continue to do that. So. Uh, I'm not going to get into my personal finances, uh, but just know that I, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done myself. All right. That is all for this episode. Appreciate you listening. Until next time, keep fighting. Find
1: a way to try and adapt your life. It's not the why, but the how that
0: plagues my mind. A new perspective. Appreciate what
1: you've got With dead men walking In an instant it could be gone And I don't know What will come Look for silver linings But still